The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right. It's a pleasure to share this time together, look at God's word together. Let's pray. Ask God for help as we come together. Hear what he says. Our Father, we do need your help. Uh, you know what our hearts are like, wandering and confused. You know our attitudes. Sometimes we're so prideful, self-righteous. Um, we're distracted. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would come and be with us. And let this time be, let, or let us experience what it actually is, that you're speaking to us together as we consider your word. So I pray, Lord, and I ask that you would help me to teach this faithfully, clearly, so that it would be your very word, and I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us a word that hits us in the heart, changes and adjusts what we love, how we think, how we process the world, how we live, that we could be the kind of people who are pleasing to you, kind of people who are filled with faith in your word, especially in your Son. We pray this in his name, amen. So we are continuing through our study of the book of Hebrews, and obviously we're in a long conversation about faith. I hope you pick that theme up as you were hearing this read. Did you notice the phrase, by faith, by faith? So we're continuing this conversation about faith, and it's so important, isn't it? Uh, one reason is people just love to throw out the, world, the word faith just willy-nilly everywhere, and so we need to know, like, well, what does this mean? What is actual faith? But another reason it's so important is because without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't know him or belong to him or be saved from your sins or have all of the blessing it is to belong to God without this thing called faith. So it really is essential. As we get going here, I want to remember some ideas we thought about last week. Number one, there is a way in which everyone has faith. I don't care if you're an, an atheist, I think you have faith. Anyone from any religion, whatever you are, agnostic, you have faith. What, what is faith? Faith, I think, has three aspects to it. Number one, it's a reliance. So you are trusting something. Faith is a reliance. Number two, faith has an object or an authority. What is it that you're relying upon? So reliance, an object. And then number three, faith relies on this object in the hope of happiness. That's a part of faith. You're leaning on this thing because you think it'll be good for you. It'll satisfy you. It'll give you what you need. So you got a reliance, you got an object for the hope of happiness. And so we all need to ask ourselves often, where am I putting my faith? Because you can say your faith's in one thing when the actual faith of your heart is in quite another thing. And, and so one way you know where your faith is, ask yourself this, who am I obeying? Who am I obeying? Because faith always obeys. That makes sense, doesn't it? If you're really relying on something, you really believe this is legit, and this thing is promising you happiness, well, you and I both know what choices we're going to make all the time. What do you want? What do you live for? What are you choosing? You're choosing that which you think will make you happy. So you're, you're going to obey the thing you put your faith in. If somebody puts all their hope and identity, for instance, in, in money, let's say, what are they going to spend their life doing? They're going to be obeying that God. 
to be worshiping it by, by, uh, by seeking it, by serving it. And so everybody has faith, reliance on an object for the hope of happiness, and faith obeys. And so now we, now we think about what it means to be a Christian. Let's well, put your faith, a reliance on your heart, on the object of Jesus Christ as seen in, his, in, as seen in God's word as known by God's promises. So your heart relies on Christ. And so then who do we as Christians hope in for everything that we need, our satisfaction, our happiness, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our right and wrong, our future? Who do we rely on? We rely on Christ. He's our treasure. He's our hope. So a Christian puts her faith in Jesus Christ, relying on God's promises to her about him. Well, now we remember that Hebrews was written to a community of marginalized, persecuted Christians tempted to move their faith off of Christ and onto something else. In their case, they're tempted to move their faith off of Christ and onto worship according to the Mosaic law. Well, why would these people be tempted to do that? Well, as we study the book, it shows us that they're experiencing persecution, marginalization, mockery. Some of them have lost their property because they belong to Jesus. And when you sustain that kind of thing for a long time, come on, let's be honest, what would you be tempted to do? If following Jesus causes you pain, and sometimes it will, you will be tempted then to put your faith in something else. Just leave leave him to the side. Move on to something else. And so the writer here is just doing everything he can, right? He's doing everything he can to encourage them, to discipline them, to challenge them, to thrill them, to, to, to get them, to motivate them, to keep their faith right here on Christ, no matter the cost, because he's worth it. He's so worth it. Okay, so now we come to Hebrews eleven seventeen to 40. And as we heard that read, you probably thought, okay, that was a summary of most of the Old Testament. <laughs> that was... That was a lot of stuff in there. So we see the author, right? He's drawing from examples of this this audience's own heritage. He's drawing from examples of faith in the Old Testament. So, I mean, how are we going to handle this? You, You could be tempted, right, to take every detail, and I guess I could have done 12 sermons on this section, and maybe that would be valuable. You could, you could unpack this, the story and the situation of, of every person and see what you learn about faith. Okay. But also, it seems to be the author's method here just to, like, open the fire hydrant, right? And, uh, and shoot out a torrent of examples of faith. Why, why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? Well, I think he's, he's trying to show us overwhelming themes of what faith does overwhelming themes. Hey, look, this is what faith does. And I think, he's, I think this is meant to be an encouraging section where I think he's talking about the strength that faith gives even in the face of incredible difficulty. We read that this morning, Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way. Now think about that. Now, it's poetic. I don't think he's in an earthquake while he's writing this. But what, it, life feels this way sometimes, right? It feels like what? Everything's coming apart. And when everything's coming apart, how do you tend to feel when all your circumstances look dark and difficult? I feel afraid. That's how I feel. But God is a refuge and strength in a time of trouble. 
Therefore, I won't be afraid. How, how is it that your heart can actually say that and mean it? It's faith. You believe God at his word. Have you felt that before? Have you felt the strength that comes from faith? I have thousands of times, thousands of times. Part of that is because I'm very weak, okay? I'll tell you, I'm weak. And so I have to have my faith encouraged constantly. But when I have things in my life that are challenging for me, things in my heart that are challenging for me, to come to God's word, to hear him, to pray on it, and to believe him, it gives you strength, doesn't it? To keep going, to follow him, to obey him, to love him, to live for him. And so that's what I think we need to see. We're, we're going to see like four encouragements, and I think they're examples of strength given to people in the face of difficulty through their faith. We believed God at his word, so they experienced this strength in the face of difficulty. We're going to see four examples of that. And then there's a surprise at the end. And so I'm going to call this four examples and then the surprise. There's a surprise at the end because the author just gives something to his audience, which I think would totally reverse and kind of explode the way that they were thinking. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Four encouragements, ways faith gives strength with a surprise at the end. Here we go. The first way, we're going to be looking at chapter 11, verses 17 to about 22 for this first theme. And I'll give it to you ahead of time. Faith gives hope even in the face of death. So let's go ahead and meet our, our enemy right here, death, right? What seems to mess with your circumstances, your hopes and dreams more than your body rotting and you dying, right? There it is. There's the enemy. We're staring at him. What does faith give? Well, it starts, verse 7, by faith when he was tempted, Abraham, when he was temp tested, offered up Isaac. So we got to get back up here just for a moment. Uh, first of all, Abraham, he's the father of faith, right? And what that means is if you want to belong to God, you need to have a faith like Abraham. So even people in the New Testament, those who trust Christ were called children of Abraham. Why? It's not because we're ethnically Jewish, though you may be. We're glad you're here. It's because your heart has the same faith that he had. You trust God's word. So Abraham's always this case study of faith, and here's his biggest moment of faith right here, and it's a, it's a shocking story, one of the most unbelievable stories in the Bible. Abraham was called to offer up in sacrifice his, his son, his beloved son. I just, I'll, I'll go ahead and make this real clear right now. God hates child sacrifice. He hates it. It's explicitly clear in the Bible. You will never be called to do this, okay? This is a one of a... This is, a, this is a historically once, one, one of a kind. It will only happen once because it's, it's loaded with this theological meaning. It's really a, a teaching aspect for all of God's people. But, but this, this is the context, right? God had promised that his plan to save and redeem the world would go through Abraham and his family. And specifically for Abraham, it would go through Isaac. And then if you know the story... Uh, what does the text say? It's kind of funny. What do you know about Abraham and Sarah when they're waiting for Isaac? The text calls them, they're as good as dead. So what does that mean? It means you're old, man, right? <laughs> and, you're, and your wife's old, really old, okay? There is no way you're having a baby. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. But then God, in his power, he says, I'm going to show you that I do the impossible 
when I save my people. And he gives them a child. So, so you think of who Isaac was to Abraham. I mean, Abra- every parent loves their child, I hope, and every, every good parent anyway. You love your child, yes. And this is more than that. In Isaac, in a way, is God's plan to save the world. And Abraham's been waiting and waiting and waiting. And so now we know, I mean, if there's one thing you know about Isaac, if God said, I'm going to save the world through Isaac, what are you assuming about him? I would assume he's not going to die tomorrow. Because God promised that he would have offspring. And so you see what it's like for Abraham when he knows God says to him, offer your son up as a sacrifice. So I don't know how Abraham knows. We're going to leave that behind. But he knows. He knows God said this. And what does Abraham do by faith? You can think of this tension Abraham said, Abraham had. He knows God promised the covenant will go through Isaac. And he knows God has just said, offer Isaac up to me as a sacrifice. Do these two things seem to go together? Well, you know what? Abraham believes God to such a, a radical way. I mean, do you hear what God's saying to Abraham? I want your very identity. I want you to offer that up to me. I want your very hope for the future. I want you to offer that up to me. I want your greatest treasure. I want you to offer that up to me. Take your son, Genesis 22, 2. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the Miranda Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I shall tell you. God is saying, give me everything. God is asking, who do you love the most? Will you trust me and obey? God is asking Abraham something he will never ask you to do, but he will ask you something like this in different ways. He, he will test you in your life to see what you love the most. He will ask you sometimes to give up in a way things you love too much. Won't be exactly like this, no way, but the, the theme will be the same. What do you love the most? Do you trust me? God will ask you that. Do you trust me? And by faith, Abraham does it. He goes and he does it. And so, as soon as, as, as that scene, that Abraham believes God and he's going to do it, as soon as that occurs, God intervenes. Genesis twenty two twelve. God says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So Abraham had this incredible faith. But what is it specifically that God had done for Abraham? And that's the theme we need to see. Look now in your Bibles at Hebrews eleven nineteen. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. You see how this worked for Abraham? You read the Genesis story and you, oh, you you find that. Because Abraham and Isaac start to go up the hill with the stuff that they need. And Abraham basically says to his servants, we'll be back. We'll be back. Author of Hebrews sees that. And Abraham's thinking, I know God promised that his, that his plan would come true through Isaac. So even if I offer him up, God's going to raise him from the dead. God's going to raise him from the dead. So, of course, as soon as Abraham does this, God intervenes, preserves Isaac. He, he preserves Isaac right through this substitutionary sacrifice. There's a ram stuck in the thicket. 
And, he, and as the author of Hebrews says, he, Abraham considered God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead, which, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Figuratively, he went up on that mountain in his heart, ready to give it away. And as he said, God, you can have it, what did God do? He gave it back. And everything's the way it should be. He loves God most, and then he loves his son dearly. Oh. Has God done that in your life? I think he's going to if you belong to him. He's done it to me. Something I want, I want it real bad. Maybe I want it too much. God says, let me have it. Why does he do that? He does it to show you that he's enough in himself. He's enough in himself. And many times when he says, let me have that, and you give that to him, he gives it back to you. Many times, not every time, but many times. But you know, in the end, he will give it back to you, whatever it is, however that works. He will give it back to you. He will thrill you and satisfy you in heaven forever, okay? But look, here's the theme. Faith gives hope even in the face of death because you know that nothing can stop God from keeping his promises, not even death. And we know that's what he's talking about because look at verses 20 to 22. You got Isaac, you got Jacob, you got Joseph. In each case, these are people facing the reality of their impending death. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, if you read that story, with like with a lot of these, you'll be like, faith's kind of hard to find in some of these chapters. I see a lot of sin, I see a lot of unbelief, but if you look deeper at it, if you look at the consistency and the pattern of their lives, even after God will discipline these people, the one thing they still have, the one thing that keeps them, they believe God's promises. And so even at death, and I'm telling you, death reveals, doesn't it? Death exposes. If you've been with some people when they're about to die, like you see what they love, you see what they're about, and, and to see faith right here in these people. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship. That's the way I want to die. That's the way I want to die. I don't know when I'm going to die. I hope it's a while from now. I hope, like all of you, I'll be really old and really healthy, right? And die in my sleep. That happens for some people, amazingly, okay? But you might, you might get, uh, you're going to have a long battle with painful cancer. You might get that. You might get, I don't know what you're going to get. But this is what, look at, look at, look at Jacob. He's old and he's just leaning over his staff. He's frail. It's almost over. He's, he's seen God's faithfulness, but he doesn't have the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And he's worshiping as he's dying. That's faith. It gives you hope even through death because nothing can stop God from keeping his promises, not even death. Joseph, what an example. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. I love this. You know the story. Joseph went to Egypt as a slave, became second in command. It was all God's plan to save God's people during this horrible famine, so they're all taken care of in Egypt. And so by the time they get to Egypt, they are cozy and comfy in the most powerful nation on earth. They are taken care of. And Joseph at death says to the people, 
we're leaving. This is not our home. Don't get too comfortable. In fact, here's my tomb, and there are my bones. And every day you see this tomb with my bones in it, remember, we're leaving. This is not our home, and you take my bones with you when you go to our home. That takes incredible faith. He had heard what God said to Abraham, and he believed it. And he believed it against, against every circumstance his eyeballs saw. He believed God's word. Take my bones. I think he had the faith of Abraham. Abraham had this kind of faith, Hebrews 11.10. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. There's a resurrection. There's a new homeland. And that's where we belong. Faith gives hope in the face of death. And if it, give you, if it can give you hope there, it can pretty much do anything. Nothing can stop God from keeping his people, keeping his promises, from his faithfulness to us. And that's why Jesus will later say, right? Don't fear those who can kill the body. That always makes me laugh. Because I don't know about you, but I'll tell you how I feel about those who can kill the body. I'm afraid, okay? I'm afraid. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Why would you not be afraid? The martyrs of the legacy of the church tell you how not to be afraid. It's because you say to the man with the weapon, I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to rise from the dead. Faith gives hope in the face of death. I've got to keep going. Second thing faith does, it gives courage in the face of persecution. I think we see that theme from 23 all the way to 27. Faith gives courage in the face of persecution. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Just think about the faith of Moses' parents. Uh, by, the, you know, by the time of Moses, Things were different with the Pharaoh of Egypt. It wasn't like the time of Joseph. By the time of Moses, now the king of Egypt is mandating the murder of every little Jewish baby boy. Wretched tyranny. Sadly, not uncommon in this world. And I suppose that if you dis disobey that mandate, there's going to be a cost. Can you feel the wretched, horrible feel? fear that many people in this world have had to experience. I do something like kill my child or my whole family gets killed. Horrid tyranny and persecution. Well, Moses' parents, they heard the edict, kill your baby boy, and what did their heart say by faith? We're not doing it. We're not doing it. Well, how's that going to work? I don't know. But we're not doing it. What if we get killed? Well, I think that's why the first point was first. What if we get killed? Then we'll rise from the dead. I'm not doing it. Just this courage in the face of persecution. The text says they saw the, their child was beautiful. Some commentators take that 
really far. Some, some, some think they had a sense of his destiny. I don't buy it. Here's my take. Every child's beautiful, okay? And if it's your child, it's really beautiful. And I'm not doing this, right? I'm not doing this. Faith enables courage in the, persecu- in the face of persecution. And you see that theme continue with Moses, Verse 24, by faith, when Moses, when he, was gr- when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What a pair of verses. So if you know the story, uh, Moses' family's hiding him, just kind of in the Nile in a basket, caring for him as they can. We don't know a lot of details, but they're trying to preserve this kid. The daughter of Pharaoh discovers him and is like, oh, he's, I'm keeping him. Moses' mother gets to nurse him, right? Amazing. So Moses grows up a prince of Egypt. And they just ponder what that means at that time. He has, humanly speaking, everything. He has all the wealth there could be. He has celebrity. He has power. He is in the inner circle of the greatest most influential nation on the planet. He has it all. And he made a trade. Did you see the trade? Here's the trade that was offered to him. You can have every worldly treasure or you could have mistreatment. Every worldly treasure or you can be mistreated. Which one do you want? How many of you enjoy being mistreated? Especially in a context like this. Horrible mistreatment. And Moses looked at this deal. I have every worldly pleasure or I can have mistreatment. And he actually said, I'll take the mistreatment. I will give up all this political power I will give up all this worldly treasure. I will give up all this comfort. I will give up the American dream before it's even the dream. I'll give it up. I will give it up, and I will take mistreatment. Same question we have to ask with Abraham, we have to ask with Moses. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? And the answer is here in verse 25. Choosing rather to be mistreated, and what's that next phrase? With the people of God. This was a theological decision for Moses. And he had faith in the God of his fathers, and he believed those promises. And he wanted that God, and he knew in his case he could not stay the comfortable celebrity of Egypt and have God. And so he said, I will take the mistreatment if it gets me God and fellowship with his people. Wow. Would you make that trade? If and when the time comes, will you make that trade? Faith gives courage in the face of persecution. I want God and I want his ways and I'm willing to take that cost, whatever it may be. 
because I'm not letting go of God. I'm not letting go of God. Amazing, amazing thing said of Moses in 25 and 26. You see, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He, uh, 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he's looking forward to the reward. We learned so much here. It, it's not that Moses didn't want to be happy. It's not that Moses likes mistreatment. What was his motivator? Did you see it? He wanted the wealth of the reproach of Christ. We have to think about what that is. And he wanted the reward. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You must believe that he exists and that he, do you remember? He rewards those who seek him. He's worth it. He, happiness is there. Satisfaction is, in there, is there with God. And so I'll give away, did you hear, hear what it's called? The fleeting pleasures of sin. Have you learned this yet? Have you learned this? I mean, we know why we like sin, right? Why did you do it? Because it felt good. And the Bible's not lying to you. Is there a certain kind of pleasure with sin? Yeah. Don't you like to feel self-righteous a little bit? Don't you like to drop that bomb, make the other person look bad? Don't you like to seek that pleasure? God said no, go outside of his boundaries. Don't, don't you? It, it, does, it gives a little bit of pleasure. That's why you do it. You wouldn't do it if it didn't give you any pleasure. But what do you learn about this kind of pleasure? It's fleeting. It's crooked. It, it doesn't heal, it, it hurts. It doesn't bring wholeness, it's corruption. It's fleeting. Boy, when you learn that, we could, we could smell that. I, I smell your, um, your flirtation with me towards this pleasure. That's fleeting. And then you remember, the only time sin is ever pleasant is in this fleeting life. Sin has fleeting pleasure in this fleeting life. When you realize that and you want the reward you're, you're able to do what Moses did. And, and, and of course, why is the writer telling us this about Moses? He's telling this so that his audience will do this. Give up these fleeting pressures for the greater wealth of the reproach of Christ. Now, I don't think the author here is saying that Moses could have given us a theological statement about Jesus Christ. He knew one would come, but he, he didn't know all the details. But, but he knew before he knew there's something about a reproach that godly people endure, and especially Christ was the one who endured it. What comes first, the cross or the crown? It's the cross. What did Jesus say? If you want to gain your life, what do you have to do? To lose it somehow. To lose it. You have to, you have to give up lesser treasures somehow in the pursuit of the greatest treasure. So there's a reproach of Christ, but the author here calls it greater wealth. Can you see that, friends, by faith? Without faith, anything that takes away pleasure in this world, why would you do it, right? But faith lets you see just a totally different value system. And believing the word of God makes a little reproach or a little mistreatment worth it. We're not seeking it. We're not asking for it. We're not cooking it up. But when it comes, when we have to choose between God or persecution, faith gives courage. I'll take God. Verse 27, it says, By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Uh, did any of you, your eyebrow raised a little bit when you heard that one? Because, well, 
with all these stories, there's a story with Moses where um, he sees an Egyptian and Israelite fighting, and he intervenes, and he ends up killing the Egyptian, tries to hide his body in the sand. And then he does leave, and the text actually says he leaves in fear um, because he's been caught because he, he killed his soldier. And then you read the author of Hebrews going, he was not afraid of the king. And if you're reading your Bible, you're like, afraid or not afraid? Well, let's use our heads here, okay? Number one, the Bible never contradicts itself. It's not that he didn't see what you see. It's that you don't see what he sees. It's not that he didn't see what you see. Oh, you've got a contradiction. Listen, after reading this guy, I think he knows his Old Testament a little bit. Anybody? I think he knows his Old Testament a little bit. It's not that he doesn't see what you see. It's that you don't see yet what he sees. I'm not sure the writer of this book finds that specific deed of Moses as a deed of faith. And I don't think that's the moment he's talking about. Context tells you what he's talking about. What choice did Moses make? I would rather be identified with the slaves than be the son of the princess of the Pharaoh. That's the choice he made by faith. Do you think that gave the king displeasure? I would say so. Come on, you think a Pharaoh's never killed his own people before? Please. That's not the issue. The issue is a prince of Egypt said, I'm joining that group. Because faith gives courage in the face of persecution. May we have faith. Now we're on the third encouragement of faith. Verses 28 to 31, you get four examples of faith all against the background of God's judgment. Four examples of faith all against the background of God's judgment. And so I think the point here is in 28 to 31 is faith experiences God's salvation in the face of his judgment. So you get first uh, the Passover, right? You remember the story? God's going to come and get his just vengeance on Egypt. Israel, God calls Israel my son. Egypt's saying, kill all the sons of, of Israel. And so after warning, after warning, after warning, Moses tells Pharaoh, look, the angel's going to come. He's going to take all your firstborn. It's coming. Judgment and wrath is coming. By the way, did you know that God is like that? He's just. I've been digging a Johnny Cash song this week. You want to hear it? You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time. Anybody know it? Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Right? Johnny Cash said it. Okay? God is just. He's singing that song. And, and so he comes bringing judgment, deserved judgment on Israel. And, and here's the shocker. Israel doesn't just get a get-out-of-jail-free card. God doesn't just say to Israel, hey, don't sweat it. Oh, no, if God comes in holy judgment, guess who else is going to face it? It's not just Egyptians. It's Israel because they have the same problem. They're sinners. And so when God's judgment how are, comes in judgment, how are they going to be saved? Well, that's the, the Passover. You kill the lamb, right? And you put the blood on your doorpost. It's this sig sig signifying um, substitution. That lamb died instead of us. So when the angel of judgment would see the blood on the door, he would pass over. And this occurred by faith, because by faith, faith experiences salvation in the face of judgment. Same thing, verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. 
You remember this amazing story, right? It's kind of fun to imagine it. You're, you're terrified. You're just Jewish slave with the Egyptian army behind you and an ocean in front of you. You're freaking out. You're panicking. That's what they were doing. The sea opens up. Moses says, walk. I've heard pastors just kind of ponder this before. And you imagine, you imagine different kinds of people. Some people have this really strong faith. Maybe that would be you're walking through like, this is pretty rad, right? This is amazing. Wow, you're walking through. You're skipping. You're happy. God's saving you. You're full of faith in him. Do you think there's anybody else who's like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Walls of water. I don't know. And you're just tiptoeing through. You ever think there's somebody with strong faith, kind of dragging somebody with weaker faith? Like, let's get through. Let's get through. And through faith, guess what happened to the person with strong faith? He made it. Guess what happened to the person with weak faith? He made it. Because faith finds its strength in the object, not in itself. And so they make it through. And then the Egyptian army, Pharaoh's like, go get them. And again, I wonder, I just wonder if any Egyptian soldier's like, I I feel like, I feel like this is not going to go well. I wonder if there's just one who's like, I'm going to take a a little right turn over here. I'm going to see what happens. Because when that army went in, judgment. Faith experiences God's salvation in the face of judgment. Same thing, verse 30, Jericho. Jericho is going to get judged for their sins. This is another historical uniqueness where God judges one nation through his theocracy. And so Israel's supposed to take Jericho. And, and you remember the plan, right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk around the city and sing, okay? Anything else? Nope. Just walk and sing. How's that for a battle plan, right? You like that? What does it take to do that? Faith. There's only one way that's a good plan, and that's if that's what God told you to do for his purposes. So they do it, and the walls fall. And the total underdog is victorious. Because faith experiences God's salvation, even in the face of judgment. And then verse 31, most shocking of all, perhaps. Who do we have in verse 31? Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho. Now, if you're in Jericho, right, the whole logic of the story is they're a wretched, evil place. Wretched and evil. And then if you're a prostitute in Jericho, it's just, it doesn't go on like the, the resume of the great saints of old, you know? Like, that's who this woman is. And yet, and yet, what does she have? What does God instill in her? Amazingly, faith, faith. Listen to what she says. The spies come in two two at a time so that there's a witness. The spies come in to the city. She's like, y'all are in trouble. I will hide you. She's just like what Abraham did. She's just like what Moses did. Is this a wise decision for her from an eyeball point of view, from a human circumstance point of view? Jericho's like a, a hugely powerful, massive city. 
She's, she's nobody in that city. She has two little spies from this little group of slave people. I mean, if you're going to, the odds in Vegas, they're all on Jericho. All on Jericho. And she says to the spies, this is what she says, Joshua 2.9, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I know that the Lord has given you the land. And the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land, they melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. That was 40 years ago. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She's preaching. She is full of faith. And what does she experience? Salvation. Faith always experiences salvation in the face of judgment. And she becomes part of the people of God and one of the great, 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 great grannies of Jesus Christ. Wow. I've got, okay, so what we've seen so far, faith gives hope in the face of death. Faith gives courage in the face of persecution. Faith receives salvation in the face of judgment. Fourth one, 32 to 38. Verse 32, the author says, and what more shall I say? And maybe the, author, the, the recipients of this letter are feeling like you're feeling. What, what, more, what more shall you say? Time would fail me to tell of, and let's just rip through all these Old Testament heroes, okay? But I just want you to notice themes. These Old Testament heroes, you have uh, judges, kings, prophets, and look at the success they experienced through faith. Kings conquered kingdoms through faith, enforced justice through faith, obtained promises through faith. Maybe the book of Daniel, we're thinking about stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire through faith, escape the edge of the sword, made strong out of weakness, mighty in war. Do you see 32 to 34? What is it? Success. God being faithful to them, keeping his promises as they believed in him, and they experienced great success. Well, we experience success sometimes as we trust God and put our faith in him? Will we see people come to Christ? Can we see marriages healed? Can we see all sorts of wonderful, glorious things God does in and through us through faith? Yes. And look at 35. These two things go right next to one another. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. What? Did you see that? Women's received back their dead by resurrection. You're like, yeah, faith, faith, faith. And some were tortured. Refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. By faith, others suffered mocking and flogging. By faith, chains and imprisonment. By faith, they were stoned. By faith, they were sawn in two. By faith, they were killed with the sword. By faith, they went about in skins and sheep of goats and destitute and afflicted, mistreated. By faith, success, suffering, different experiences, same what? Same faith. False teachers will tell you if you have faith, it's all success all the time. No, it's a lie, it's not true. It's not true. Will we see gospel kingdom success through faith? Yes, we will. We'll see all sorts of wonderful things change for the glory of God. He's changing us. He's working in our lives. He's working through us. Yes, there will be success. And, and just because you have real faith, does that mean your experience will always be success? Or will sometimes you'll be tortured and sawn in two? 
afflicted, mistreated. Yes, same faith. Same faith. And so do we, what do we see here? Faith perseveres in the face of whatever comes. Praise God for the success brought by faith. God help me praise God for the suffering brought by faith. Faith perseveres through whatever comes. That's what faith does. It endures. It keeps going. And part of the motivation here, look at what the text says in 39, or sorry, 38. The writer of Hebrews says, of whom the world was not worthy. I love that. Of whom the world was not worthy. You know, the world will say often, people of faith, those who trust and love and believe God, they're not worthy of society. And God says to those people of faith, the world is not worthy of you. He's not ashamed to be called their God, we saw in eleven sixteen. God is not ashamed to be called the God of those who put their faith in him, for he has prepared for them a city. So there's our four encourages, four encouragements, four strengths from faith. Faith enables hope in the face of death. Faith enables courage in the face of persecution. Faith brings salvation even in the face of judgment. Faith perseveres through success and suffering, whatever comes. Now, finally, the surprise. And all these, verse 39, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So what was God's attitude towards them as they put their faith in his word? He commended them. Good job. Well done. I am your God. And yet, they still didn't receive what he's promised. Moses is waiting for something. Rahab is waiting for something. And look at verse 40. I think it would have shocked his audience. Why they, all these heroes of faith in our legacy, why do they have to wait, verse 40, since God had provided something better for us? So, so the author here is writing these Hebrews, and they want to go back to the Mosaic Law and, and follow the legacy of what's come from behind. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, it's not you that should, you, that, that should go back. It's they who want to come up to you. It's they who want, you shouldn't want what they have. It's they who want what you have. You have the, it's something far, far better. And of course, what is it? Who is it? It's Jesus. We have Jesus. And then if you look back and you think of the story of Abraham called to sacrifice his son, but he doesn't have to sacrifice his son because God provides us a sacrifice. Who's the son that was sacrificed as a substitute for the people? It's Jesus. He died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. And in him, we have the ultimate hope in the face of death. Or what else did we see? Faith gives strength to have courage through suffering. Didn't Jesus exemplify this ultimately? He did it first. He did it for us. He says, if you suffer for my name's sake, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward. And we know he's good for it. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He gives us strength to have courage through suffering. What about salvation in the face of judgment? Who is the Passover lamb, the one who gave his life on Passover to save the people? It is Jesus he is the true exodus. In him, we escape the judgment of God through him. Look at Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ 
died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Jesus is salvation in the face of judgment. Jesus is the one who gets us strength to endure in success or in suffering. We have the perfection in the face of Christ. So they want to go back. The author of Hebrews says, don't come back. This legacy you look to, they want to come forward. Apart from us, they won't be made perfect. They won't be made perfect. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is going to bring perfection for all God's people. Their forgiveness in ours, their resurrection in ours, a, a renewed creation we will enjoy and share together forever, perfected in Christ and in Christ alone. So what's he saying? Where are you gonna put your faith? Put it in Christ. What about when it gets hard? Keep it on Christ. Because in Jesus, you can have hope in the face of death. Through faith in Jesus, you can have courage in the face of persecution. Through faith in Jesus, you'll experience, you will experience salvation in the face of judgment. Through faith in Jesus, you can persevere through whatever life brings because perfection is found there. And we will be satisfied only and ultimately in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, make us people of faith and especially faith in our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of every one of your promises, the better gift. Lord, I pray if anybody here does not belong to him yet, that right now would be the moment you draw them. They would look to you. They would trust in him. And Lord, for those of us who are tempted to waver or suffering is getting difficult and heavy, Lord, encourage our faith. Give us strength in knowing you as we trust your promises together and we look forward to the day you will bring us home. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com.